0: lives as a gratitude for all that you have done. We pray for this church and for the missions that you are calling us to. May we be faithful in spreading your love and mercy and grace. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated.
1: of wildflowers she breathes the air and flies away she thanks her Jesus for the daisies and the roses and no simple language someday she'll understand the meaning of it all is more than the laughter or the stars in the heavens as close as a heartbeat or a song on earth Someday she'll trust him and learn how to see him. Someday he'll call her and she will come running and fall in his arms. The tears will fall down. Sitting silent, wearing Sunday best, the sermon echoes through the walls of great salvation. Through it, calls to the people who stare into nowhere, can feel the chains on their souls. Even more than the laughter or the stars in the heavens, as close as a heartbeat or a song. close enough to call you god so as i sit and think of the words i can mention to show my devotion
0: Your bulletin, you'll see some prayer requests in the life of the church. So I invite you to join me as we pray these together. We want to lift up the folks in our congregation who we know are going through treatments for cancer, for Sue Dismore and Mary Thomas and Harry Martin, for Amanda's aunt Carol, for Jane's son David and Larry Sturgeon, for Muin Begum, for Bobby Parham, for Kay Hendrickson, for Sandy Erickson, for Easton and for Pam Detmore. We pray for God's peace and strength with them at this time, that they might be held close and given uh, the grace of God. Lord, in your mercy. We lifted Donna Adams today, who was having a heart valve replacement on September 14th, and also uh, had a little bit of a ding this last week, Um, hurt her eye, and so we pray for her as she is getting better. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for Louise that She's recovering from her brain, brain bleed and is continuing to uh, uh, recover. Lord, in your mercy. You. We pray for Kathy Sterling, for her back problems, and for the pain that she's been suffering from, that God might give her relief. Lord, in your mercy. And Gloria Sturgeon let us know this week that her brother Roger was having a foot amputation. And so we pray for God's uh, strength as he learns how to live in this new way. We pray that God's peace might be with him. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. And we already lifted up Gerald Edwards and, the fa- and his family. Um, we also want to lift up the family of uh, Cal Hilgadeek. It was Dan Hilgadeek's father who passed away this week. And also Naomi Gibbons, who was Carolyn Whedon's aunt, who also passed away this week. We pray for God's peace and comfort in this time of grief. Lord, in your mercy. And I want to lift up prayers today for the folks of Hawaii. Um, If you've read the news at all, you've seen the stories of the wildfires, not to mention the ever-climbing death toll. And we pray for God's peace and strength and grace in that place, for all those fighting the fires, um, for all those affected, for all of those who are grieving today. Lord, in your mercy. O holy and gracious God, you are good. We are gathered here today because at some point in our lives, we have heard your call. We have heard your whisper in our lives and we have decided to follow. As we are gathered here today, we pray that you might continue to knit us together in love, that we might be your body, that we might be able to be your presence in this community, in this world. Oh, holy and gracious God, we lift up today the members that we have named, those who are close to our hearts, praying that you might be a source of healing and strength for them. We know that your spirit doesn't leave us, and yet we know there are times in our lives where we feel alone. We pray that you might remind us always of your faithfulness, of your love and your compassion. And we pray for the places in our world in which there's need for healing, for those who are facing environmental destruction, for those who are in the midst of war, for those who suffer from poverty and mental illness. We pray, O holy God, that you might create a new way, that you remind, might remind each of us that we belong to one another and establish in our hearts a sense of your kingdom, a world in which we are called to take care of one another. Oh, holy and gracious God, we pray for this church that you might guide us and lead us and embolden us to proclaim your love and good news to all people. As we are gathered in this place, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, this summer has been a great summer for movies, uh, really because of two movies. Uh, I mentioned Oppenheimer last week. uh, Christopher Nolan's newest flick features great actors, revolutionary filmmaking methods, and a topic, J. Robert Oppenheimer, that is intriguing, even as it raises intense questions about human power and morality. And then this summer, there's the other blockbuster with equally good acting, ethical questions of life and death and meaning, breathtaking cinematography and set design, and brilliant directing by two-time Best Picture nominee, Greta Gerwig. That's right. The Barbie movie. Honest, okay, show of hands, who's seen it? Who went to see it dressed in pink? I don't want to give away the movie too much, although I will say, if you're looking at this and thinking, the Barbie movie, really, (laughs) give it a chance. Give Barbie a chance. But I I don't want to give the movie away, but there are two things I want to talk about in this sermon related to the movie. Uh, The movie focuses on two different worlds, right? So there is the Barbie land, which is, well, perfect. Uh, Everything is run by the Barbies, And it is this fact that the Barbies believe has led to the empowerment of women around the world to dream bigger, assume more agency, and overcome the patriarchy of the real world. And yes, that is the other world. There is Barbie land, and then there is the real world. And the Barbies, who have never been to the real world before, assume that their existence which has empowered women everywhere, has been able to overcome the sexism and misogyny of the real world, leading to a perfect existence for everyone. Maybe you see where this is going. See, in the movie, stereotypical perfect Barbie travels to the real world and discovers that actually it's not really perfect. In fact, rather than patriarchy, sexism, and misogyny being eradicated, they find them, you're gonna be surprised by this, very much still in place. Turns out the real world is not quite as perfect as they hoped it would be. And so I don't wanna spoil the movie for you because I only saw like three hands go up. So you all have homework this week. And if you are really, really uh, adventurous, do the Barbenheimer double feature, Oppenheimer in the morning, Barbie in the afternoon, just set aside six hours, it'll be fine. And I'm going to talk about that next week, by the way. But the movie really raises a question that uh, we Christians uh, wrestle with, Uh, is it okay not to be perfect? And this isn't just about us as individuals, although I'm going to guess that everybody struggles with this to some extent. But what about the world not being perfect? Can we love a world that is not the way it ought to be all the time? the real world, after all, is God's creation. We read in Scripture that that God finishes creating all that is, and then God says it is good. And the word God uses isn't even, like, kind of good. The word God uses is really good. And so the text that we're going to deal with today deals with the subject of love. But not in the way that we think about love. Rather, it tells... The story of a romantic encounter between two lovers, but I think it helps us shift our focus it helps us in a way rethink our relationship with God and with all that is and it calls us to fall more in love with a world that isn 't always perfect, but a world that God has created and and a world that God has joined god's self with so let 's hear our reading today from The Song of Songs. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. May God bless this reading. That is probably the most PG reading I can get out of the Song of Songs. Um, This is undoubtedly every teenager's favorite book of the Bible. Let me just open it and read it and you'll see what I mean. Uh, It tells nothing more than what is a very erotic love story between two people. And even though people want to say it's a marriage night, it's not totally clear in the reading that it is. And the fact that it's attributed to Solomon makes it even a little bit weirder. I mean, Solomon probably didn't write it, but later people attributed it to him. And I mentioned last week that Solomon, the Bible tells us, had 700 wives. Can you imagine if you were one of them and this song of a night of love came out and you had to think, am I the wife? this is about. But how do we make sense of a book like this from a spiritual perspective? What does it teach us about God? One of the first things we have to do is we have to admit something about how we read the Bible. So we don't think about this a lot, but starting in the 18th and 19th century, biblical scholars started to read the Bible as a historical document. Something that was accounting actual events that had happened. And so to do this, scholars would work on the, focus on the events depicted, sometimes even arguing that they had to have happened the way they were written. They would use techniques like archaeology to understand it better. But what became most important was all of these events that the story depicted. Sometimes you would even spend time trying to prove that it happened exactly the way it was written in Scripture. The Bible, according to this view, is a history book. And some of these contributions have been incredibly important to understanding Scripture. But understanding the Bible that way is relatively new. A few hundred years old, before the advent of this modern reading style, there was one dominant way of reading Scripture in Europe. That was as an allegory. Now, an allegory is a story that can be interpreted in a special way to reveal a hidden meaning, a political, a moral, or spiritual lesson. Probably the most famous one in our society is George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, which tells the story of a bunch of farm animals turned communists. It's an allegory, right? There is not an actual farm with a pig named Old Major, who sounds an awful lot like Vladimir Lenin. It didn't actually happen. It's an allegory with a deeper meaning. And so most folks before the modern era would read the Bible this way, as containing these hidden spiritual messages. And so it's helpful for us to think about that with our text for today, with the Song of Songs. I'm sure that 2,500 years ago or whenever, somebody just wrote a poem to their lover. But Christians interpret it in a different way. And that leads to one of the most interesting facts about Christianity. Prior to the modern era, Song of Solomon was the most commented on book of the Bible by Christian theologians and monks. Which kind of begs the question, why were a bunch of celibate men writing spiritual commentaries on a very erotic book? Kind of weird, isn't it? And it wasn't at all that they were trying to condemn the contents, although I did read one where they said, don't read this if you're not spiritually mature. Not totally sure what that means. But what a lot of them saw in this book was an allegory for their spiritual relationship with God. Right? They saw God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit as luring them, enticing them, even seducing them. And in their spiritual engagement, they saw themselves in what amounted to a romantic relationship with God and with creation. One of the earliest such commenta- commentaries was written by Origen, in the third century. And in it he wrote that he was beseeching God to, quote, have compassion at last upon my love and to send him that he may now no longer speak to me only by his servants, the angels and the prophets, but may come himself directly and kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That is to say, may pour the words of his mouth into mine that I may hear him speak himself and see him teaching. You've got that, right? Origen wanted God to come kiss him on the mouth. But you can hear the allegory where he thinks, well, that means to fill me with his word. This reading reveals something about our relationship with God. It's not just about obedience or praise or forgiveness or all the things we think about. But it's also about Love. Not just the love of devotion or respect, but actually that process you have with someone where you fall deeper in love, where you grow to know them. The kind of romantic love that we think about with a partner. Maybe this is a weird idea, but it's probably not that much weirder than a bunch of celibate monks writing commentaries on a book about a romantic encounter. But there's something about the way these monks live that can help us live differently in the world, can see the world differently, can choose to be in the world. You know, one of the things when I was in Louisville a couple weeks ago that I really wanted to see was the sign that is posted at the corner of 4th and what is now Muhammad Ali Street. It used to be Walnut It's dedicated to the Christian monk, Thomas Merton, who lived not far from Louisville in the middle of the 20th century. I saw the sign, but I didn't get a picture of it, and so we stole this one from the internet. In the back of the sign, there's this quote about an experience he had on this street corner. He writes, in Louisville, on the corner of 4th and Walnut in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed wholeness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being man, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are. And if everybody could realize this. But it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. You know, Merton spent his life in seclusion, in prayer, learning to love deeper the God who he knew is faithful, learning to love the creation at a different kind of level. He wrote extensively about this, but in this encounter, you can see the rush of what feels like eros of love that he had developed for God's creation. And you can imagine that the folks in the shopping district in downtown Louisville were not perfect. They inhabited a world that was not perfect. I learned in Louisville that at this time the city would have still been segregated. Merton wasn't a stranger to this. But in that moment, after so much time falling deeper in love with God, he suddenly saw through what he calls the illusory difference. He saw the deeper truth of the world that it is inhabited by God's spirit and that each one of us are walking around shining like the sun. For me, what stories like this tell me is that our love for God and for the world are not just things that happen. They're not just happenstance. It's like a relationship, a romance, a marriage where you're called to continually fall deeper in love with someone. The monk and writer David Stendel Rast writes about this in his book, Gratefulness, the Heart of Prayer. In it, he advocates practicing gratitude as a way of developing our relationship with God. Through this practice, he explains we can discover the joy that is at the heart of all creation. Because according to scripture, all creation is a gift of God. We just grow dull to it. Don't notice it. Don't see it. So for Stendhal Rast, gratefulness is important because it cultivates in us that realization that everything is a gift. And he writes, am I grateful because I have joy or do I have joy because I'm grateful? There is a lot that we take for granted in our life. But if we are willing to open our eyes, we can see the wonder of all of it. So gratefulness practiced in our prayer life is a way of growing deeper in love with the Creator. It is a way of growing deeper in love with God, the gift giver, continually saying thank you. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect or all right. It doesn't negate all the bad. But it does allow us to see the world as God sees it. Okay, so how do we do this? It's a tall order, right? Presumably no one is going to leave the world behind and go become a Christian monk. I mean, I don't want to assume that, but I'm pretty sure we're all Protestant to the bone. But we can still develop a love for the real world in our daily lives, and not just because our world has the potential of one day being Barbie land, Although that would make things quite a bit easier. But despite its flaws, this world is still God's gift, still a sign of the grace given by the Creator. So I've been trying this new practice recently that I want to offer you. It's not a new practice, that's a wrong way of putting it. Uh, It's called the examine, and it comes from a 16th century monk named Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuit communities. So the examine is something you do at the end of your day. It's four steps. And the first thing you do is you sit down and you just acknowledge that you are in God's presence. You just acknowledge that where you are, God is as well. And then you take a moment, you can write on a piece of paper and you go back through your day and you thank God for the places that God showed up. Was there a meeting with somebody? Was there a beautiful sunset? Was there a piece of music you heard? Was there just a moment when you felt a strange peace in the midst of a turbulent day? Where did God show up? Then you ask forgiveness for the places where you maybe didn't act like your best self, or maybe you didn't act out of the love you wish you had. And you practice saying, God, I'm sorry for those moments. We all have them. You raise your voice or you just make a mistake. And finally, the last part of the examine is that you pray for grace for the following day. God, will you be with me tomorrow? Will you show up tomorrow in whatever I have to do? And that's it. That's the examine. You can do it in five minutes, you can do it laying in bed. I mean, be careful because you might fall asleep during step two, but that's okay. The point, though, is to help us be more aware in our daily lives of where God has been active. And in doing so, we are able we are able to cultivate not only gratitude, but a little bit more love. There might be places where you haven't noticed that there's something good going on, where you haven't taking the time to stop and say, oh gosh, this was really special. This is a simple way you can cultivate gratitude and gratefulness in your own life and grow deeper in love with God, a God who is good and faithful and gives. We don't even have to wait for the Barbies to come fix everything. We don't have to wait for it all to become perfect. And it won't fix all of the problems. But it might, it might help us grow in the same love for creation that God has. It might help us grow more aware of the God who is good and who does shower us with grace. It might help us find ourselves more grounded in the world as it could be. Amen. Well, as we gather for worship today, we invite you to connect with us. If you are worshiping with us for the first time, take a moment and introduce yourself after worship. And if you're online and wanna drop us a comment or a note, we would love to know more about what brought you to our community. We welcome you here today.